You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. It's a blessing to be here with y'all. Happy 2019. Six days in, hoping those resolutions are still going strong. At this point, six days into the new year, very glad to be able to uh, be here with you and get into the word. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm Ant, pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. Uh, if you're new, I see we've got a few guests with us. Just, just want to extend a special welcome to you, let you know we're very glad uh, that you're here. Uh, we have a little, uh, in our lobby area after we're, we're done, you'll see a sign there where we'll just welcome you to come and speak to one of our host team members. we just love to get, you know you, get to know you a little bit, let you know that you're loved and you're welcomed here. So if you can stop uh, there in the lobby and, and talk to someone in our host team there, that would be uh, much appreciated. Uh, we ended last year in a series that we just call Give. We do this every year where we, we find partners. Uh, recently, we've been finding partners within our city uh, that we partner with all year round, but we want to be able to be a blessing to those partnerships, partners with ministries or organizations uh, or, or companies even that are focusing on some of the most marginalized and vulnerable people in our city. And so we just wanted to be able to honestly raise some money to, to support them and let, me know, and let them know that we love them, that we care about them, that we're here for them, and that we, we just want to be wind in their sales. Uh, and so we set uh, a couple goals for us as a, as a church. Uh, well, I should say for us as a church and for our family of churches. For our family of churches, we wanted to raise $21,000 for our Serve the City partners uh, here in the city. For us at Midtown Two Notch, we wanted to be able to raise $1,500 of that. And on top of that, I also said that we wanted to be a blessing to a church plant that's in Greenville that's also serving a, a very impoverished part of Greenville, actually uh, the most impoverished part of Greenville County. And so my goal in the, in, the, in the back of my mind, I know I didn't say this out loud, was that we would be able to raise about 1500 for our Serve the City partners and that we would be able to raise about 1500 for uh, Reconciled Community Church, which is a church plant that, and if you're not familiar with the, kind of the church planting world, uh, in general, you don't plant churches in impoverished neighborhoods because it makes it very difficult for that church to be sustainable uh, financially. And so since we knew uh, that church was kind of up against the odds, we said we wanted to be able to bless them, be a financial uh, blessing to them. So I was hoping we'd be able to raise uh, $3,000, get 1500 to serve the city, 1500 to reconcile community church. Your giving, Midtown Two Notch, we raised $3,565, well above our goal. Just so grateful for all the generosity that everyone uh, gave. So I was able to tell Will Brodus, the pastor at Reconcile Community Church, that hey, I wanted to be able to give you uh, $1,500, but we're going to give you $2,065 instead. So I hope you don't mind uh, the difference there. Uh, and they were obviously very grateful. Some of us actually got to go in fellowship with them over, uh, over the break. And so I just wanted to uh, express appreciation for the generosity of everyone who was able uh, to give to our Serve the City partners and also to Reconcile Community Church. It's, it's just an incredible feeling to be able to, to serve others and be a blessing uh, to others, knowing that for us as a, as a young church, our ourselves, uh, we wouldn't be able to be here without others being generous to us and blessing us, especially when we were first getting going. So shout out to everybody who participated uh, in that. We're going to transition uh, now for the first three weeks of this series. It's kind of like an extension of our Give City series. We're just calling this series Serve the City, uh, where we're not going to focus as much on financial generosity uh, to those who are maybe going without or to those who are in need, but focusing on the, uh, the act of service in general. Focusing on how us as believers, we're called to serve. One thing that I know about this time of year uh, is many people are making resolutions, resolutions that we hope will end up giving us more joy and happiness in the end. 
I would say generally every resolution that we make, that we have, in some way we expect that, you know, I would be happier, life would be better for me and for others if I fulfilled this resolution that I'm making. I have one primary goal that I want to do today, and we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 to try to do that. I want to convince and persuade through the Word of God and empower us to, to understand and believe that true joy in life is not found in us focusing on ourselves, but is actually found in focusing on others. That's my goal for the day, that we would leave here empowered to live lives of service because we understand that true joy won't be found if we just focus on ourselves, but if we actually spend our time, our thoughts, our energy focusing on others and being servants. If you want 2019 or any year of your life to be a year of great joy, it needs to be a year of great sacrifice. If you want it to be a year where you're, where you're flourishing the most, where you're thriving the most, where you find most fulfillment in life, it needs to be a year where you are committed to sacrificially serving others and giving of yourself to others and not being consumed with yourself. This is the pathway to true joy, to true meaning, to true fulfillment. I'm not saying it's the pathway to momentary happiness, or, or fleeting happiness. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you want to actually to live as you were designed to live, you will give yourself away to the service of others. Coming up on MLK weekend from January 18th through the 21st, you'll have an opportunity uh, to serve. We hope that this is more of a, a springboard for us into a consistent year and life of service. I told you about our Service City partners uh, a minute ago. We're going to be partnering with each one of them. That Friday night, we're going to be having a rally with uh, it'll be us, our downtown church, and also our Lexington church. We'll be getting uh, together. More information on that to, to come. It'll be at 1800 Blandon Street on Friday evening. We're going to sync up, get information that you might need to, need to have in order to be able to serve most effectively our service city partners. That Saturday we'll have morning shifts, afternoon shifts, and evening shifts where you can serve with the different service city partners and partnerships that we have in the city. Uh, Sunday we'll be having our, our, our gathering here, our worship service here. Now some of our service city partners will be having more serving opportunities on that, on that Sunday and on that Monday as well. So this is a, a weekend where we're getting together. We're asking all of our members sign up online at midtown2notch.com to serve and partner with our Serve the City partners. We want to flood our whole city with service. Let our city know that, that we love, more importantly, uh, that God loves and God cares about those who are in need in our city. This is something, this, this nature, this culture of service is something that we've wanted to embed into our culture, into our DNA as a church from the time that we first first began as a church. Uh, some of you in the, in the room were around when we first got started. One of the things that we did that I thought was a little bit different, but I thought it was, it was extremely great, was after almost every service that we had, uh, we had a, a cookout and a party right outside on our yard when we was back on our schoolhouse road location. This is pretty much every Sunday. After our, so after our worship service is over, we go outside. We, sometimes we had chairs and tents set up out there. Uh, we generally had somebody who was, who was on the grill during the worship service, <coughs> Aaron Hassel. And uh, it was extremely sacrificial, missing the whole worship service so that we can have a party. And we invited every, everyone from that neighborhood, from the Pioneer's neighborhood, could come and get a plate with us. Oftentimes we had kids who had some mild behavior problems, I would say. Uh, to, to, to speak kindly, who would come and we would hang out with them. We'd throw football with them, play games with them. Literally anybody from the neighborhood could come. We'd be like, hey, get a plate on us. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to be able to serve you uh, in that way. I mean, we even had people who would serve, who would lead worship 
lead worship in the service and then walk out of the room before the service was over with so that we can go and serve food to people in the neighborhood. And <coughs> Courtney Wallace um, specifically on that one. And what, one thing that we wanted to do consistently was say, we're not primarily about us. We try to set that in the DNA from the very beginning that when we come, even for worship, we're not primarily thinking about ourselves. We're not primarily coming just so we can have a good feeling and leave and say we had a good time in church today, but we come understanding our identity that we are servants because we follow our Savior who is a servant. Now, the sad thing is in many churches, and I would say there's a bit of this probably in every church, there's this consistent thought process that I expect to gain more from the church than I give to the church. There, there, there's, this, there's this perspective of when I walk into a, a, a church service like this one, I'm expecting to receive something, but I don't really have much of a desire to give anything. I'm expecting to be blessed, but I'm not really intending on or working towards blessing anyone else. I'm, I, I kind of treat a church like a grocery store, like Walmart, right? You walk in Walmart, you're not expecting to give anything to anybody. You're expecting to receive some type of good, some type of service or whatever. And, and so we, we, we've trained ourselves to become consumers instead of servants. We've been trained to, to expect people to reach out to us more than we reach out to them. Right? We, we've been trained to expect people to go out of their way to, 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 to talk to us, to, to, to be with us, to get to know us. But we don't expect to have to make the same effort for others. This is poisoning. This is poison in the church. Christ calls us to, to so much more. We want to be a church that because we understand how much Christ came to serve us, we willingly give ourselves to serve others. We don't expect more from others than we expect ourselves to give to others. This morning in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to challenge us to learn to put others before ourselves. We want to start off at verse 3 and verse 4. Let me pray for our time. There's going to be some challenging words. This is a, a challenging passage that we'll be in today. Let me pray for us before we get into it. Father, help us to see where we are selfish, where we expect to receive more than we expect to give, even within the church or wherever we go. Expose that in us, uproot it in us as we just sang, Lord, if it's not pleasing to you, take it out of us, God. Rid us of the selfishness that actually robs us of joy in you, that actually robs us of the life that you have called us to live. Do work in our hearts, Holy Spirit, today. Make us more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'll start off verse 3. Paul is getting straight to the point. He's not pulling any punches. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. As Christians, our lives are not primarily about what we can achieve, what we can accomplish, what we can get for ourselves. Don't do anything out of this selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of us thinking too highly of our, more highly of ourselves than we should. Continue on says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He says, instead, not only should we not think too highly of ourselves, but we should so value others that, that we count them to be more significant than we count ourselves. 
The word significant means to be great, to be important, to be worthy of attention. So if we were to count others more significant than ourselves, then what Paul is saying is consider others to be, to be so worthy of your time and attention that you are willing to give them more of your time and attention than you give, of, give to yourself. Consider others more significant, more worthy of your, of your thoughts, of your time, so that you're not so consumed with yourself, Paul says. That you don't think so much of yourself that you're kind of controlled by this inward focus that prevents you from being able to bless others as God has called you to do. In verse 4, he goes, on, he goes in on that a little bit more. Let each of you not only, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We define other people so valuable, so worthy of our attention that we don't believe the lie that our interests and our affairs are more important than theirs. We don't believe the lie that our desires are more important than their desires, that we, would care just, that we would care just as much about how other people in this room are currently doing in this moment than we, than we care about the way we're currently doing in this moment, that we would care just as much about whether or not other people are eating that we care about as we care about how much we are eating, that we care just as much about the comforts of others as we care about our own comforts and luxuries. Paul is going to give us an example the ultimate example, Jesus himself. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know that when I hear stuff like this, when I hear like I'm supposed to think just as much about someone else as I think about myself, I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. Like, I'm, I'm so far away from actually living that out that it, it feels impossible. How am I actually going to, to live this out? So Paul instructs us to do this in the only way that could, that could make it possible Look what he says in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He tells us, if we're going to live this out, you got to have the mind of Christ. That you have to think like him. That you have to have his approach to life. Embrace his way of thinking. Embrace his mindset. And he goes on to explain that mindset in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word form can also, also be translated nature. That, that even though he was in the very nature of God, even though he, 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 he was the same in many ways, just like God the Father, he didn't count equality with God the Father a thing to be grasped. He was willing to submit himself to the command. He was willing to obey his Father as his Father called him to go and to serve. Verse 7, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So instead of him insisting on his own way, instead of him only cons being concerned with, well, how is this going to make me feel? How, how, am I, uh, how am I going to experience this? Instead of thinking about his own interests, his own comforts, he considered us more significant than himself. And if anyone had the right to consider himself more significant than others, it's Jesus, right? He actually is more significant than all of us. He, actually, he is the creator and the sustainer of all life. He is the one in whom all things in creation hold together. He actually is more significant than me. He actually is more significant than you, and he considered us in our life more significant than his own. And Paul encouraged us to have the mind of Christ. Don't let anybody trick you into believing the lie that you need to first and foremost worry about yourself. Because that's real popular even in the church right now. 
Very popular. Oh, you know, you got to look out for you first and foremost above everything else. That's not having the mind of Christ. It's not having the mind of Christ. It breeds this, this selfishness, this, this selfish ambition and conceit that Paul warns us against. Now, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it, it sounds real good to the ears when people tell us that we need to look out for ourselves above others. Don't, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You need to focus on you. Just, just, just focus on yourself. It's good for us to take care of ourselves. It is wrong to use that as an excuse to not make consistent and oftentimes challenging and sacrificial efforts to serve others. It's a horrible excuse. Check out what he says in verse 8. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself enough to not only consider us more significant than himself, but he obeyed the Father to the point of being tortured, beaten, tortured, and murdered on a cross for a crime that he did not commit. Servants are accustomed to sacrificing for the good of others. Jesus, the ultimate servant, sacrificed even his life for us as his people. This is a service that we have received, right? This is why we gather together. This is why we, we worship him because he's a servant to us. We, we love him because of the way that he loved and served us. And if we're going to live the way that he calls us to live, if we're going to follow in his footsteps, I would say it's very important that we understand, well, okay, well, how did he actually endure this suffering, this service that he subjected himself to? I always go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It tells us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. That he didn't see sacrificing himself for the good of others as only something that would bring him pain, even though it would, but he saw it as a worthy sacrifice because he saw joy on the other end of it. That this great sacrifice was motivated by joy. Oftentimes, I believe even in preaching, we try to motivate each other primarily with guilt and shame. That we want people to feel bad about doing the wrong thing. And that there is, to some degree, we should, we should feel guilt. We should feel convicted for the wrong things that we do. But the thing that led Jesus to, to sacrifice even his life was joy that he would receive at the end of being able to serve us and redeem his creation. We oftentimes have an understanding of sacrifice that, that's void and separate from joy, not our Savior. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, then we must examine and think through the joy of actually sacrificing ourselves and how good it feels to be able to be a blessing to someone else, to be able to help someone else. Uh, I've even had this argument with pastors before. Uh, they'll talk about somebody doing something good, and they're saying, well, you're just doing that to make yourself feel good. And I, and I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to say that this person is, it doesn't really care about other people, but they'll feel better about themselves if they do this, this act of service. And I, but I, I always cause them, I always ask them to hey, pause for a second. It's supposed to feel good when you serve others. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to enjoy sacrifice for other people. This, this is the path of our Savior that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Let us understand that sacrifice is always 
to be linked with joy. That if we're going to sacrifice, we need to see the joy that is on the other side of it. If we're going to give our lives to sacrificing for others, what good might it do for others? I believe that as a part of us being made in God's image, we enjoy serving others as our Savior did. He is the model of joyful sacrifice. Our world has it backwards. Our world has this upside down. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 10, 43 through 45. Where he's talking about how, he, before he gets into this, he's talking about how the world does not serve and love the way that he has called us to. Verse, 4, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave or servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It says the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. When you walked in here today, did you come to serve or did you come primarily to be served? In your life in general, do you come primarily to serve? Do you come primarily to be served? What's your expectation wherever you go? Jesus says the way to truly be great and be successful is to be a servant of all. God, help us to see our lives as a means of serving and blessing others. Help us to be members of, of a church who, 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 who buck against the trend, who push back against what is, what is so common, which is a church full of consumers where we come in, we shake hands on Sundays, we feel good uh, about ourselves, and we leave, and we don't really care about each other after that, and we don't really do anything to serve anyone after that. Let us make God, make us a church that just serves because we know that that's who we are now. That we give of ourselves because our Savior gave of himself for us. In your life group, do you prim- primarily go in asking the question, how is this meeting meeting, how is this meeting meeting my needs and desires? Or do you primarily ask, how can I meet the, me- the needs and desires of others in my life group? Which do you ask the most? Which is on your mind the most? If you're frustrated, about your life group? Are you more so frustrated because you're not able to serve people the way that you want to because people aren't serving you the way that you want them to? Which do you care about the most? Which is most important to you? Do you come primarily to be served or do you come primarily to serve? It's a challenging words from our Savior. This is a challenging example that he has set for us. In the, book of, in the book of Philippians, and we'll go through these, we'll try, we'll try to hit them pretty, pretty quickly. Paul actually gives us three examples of, of men who have followed their Savior and embracing having the mind of Christ, as Paul says it. He gives us three examples of three. He starts with himself. And I just want to try to point out one specific point from all three of his examples, one specific point about what it is to truly be a servant, the character, the nature of a servant. We'll read verse 17 and 18, still in chapter 2. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What I learned about being a servant from Paul is that servants consider how their suffering, how even their suffering will bless others. Servants will consider even how their suffering 
how their difficult times might be a blessing to others. See, when performing a drink offering at that time, as Paul refers to when he's talking about his life, they will oftentimes take wine and they will pour it out maybe on the ground, maybe on the altar uh, before they would, they would complete whatever uh, worship ceremony, whatever that they're doing. Now, wine is something that they could have kept that would have benefited them. They could have brought them enjoyment, brought them some type of, of gain in their life, but they poured it out as a sign of their worship to the Lord. And Paul is saying, even if my life is poured out like a drink offering, I rejoice. Pouring out something that causes enjoyment, pleasure, personal gain as a means of worshiping God. Paul saying, even if my life, which is something that I could use for my ambition, Paul was extremely smart, could have done extremely well for himself in a variety of different ways. He was saying, even if my life, this thing that God has given me to steward, that I could use for my personal gain, if it's poured out, if it's empty for your ongoing faith, then I rejoice. And not only that, but he says, and you should rejoice with me. He's calling them to rejoice as well. He saw his life as a sacrificial offering for the good of others, and he was glad about that. He found joy in that, that he could follow his Savior in that way. And, and Paul had a remarkable joy. It's absolutely incredible, in my opinion. In the first chapter of the book, I want to pick it up at verse 15. In the first chapter of the book, you see how his, his heart for service plays out. Sorry, I'll pick it up in verse 12, excuse me. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul been locked up for preaching the gospel. They are deciding whether or not they're going to kill Paul currently. And he's writing to the Philippians. He's writing to the Philippians. And he's saying, man, you, here's what I got to tell you. Did you know that me being in prison for preaching Christ is actually serving for the good of ministry? He said, did did you know that now the whole imperial guard knows that I'm here for the sake of Christ? The, the gospel is going forward by my imprisonment. He interprets his suffering through the lens of serving others. Verse 14, and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is on top of that, because I got locked up for this. It's other brothers now that are even more bold than they were before to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, this is incredible. This is great news, guys, that I'm locked up. I'm in here rejoicing. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. He's saying there are some people out there preaching, they're doing it somehow to, to, to get at me or, or inflict me or cause me some type of harm. He was like, he said other people do it for good reasons, but either way, the gospel's being preached, so I'm in here rejoicing. I'm in here rejoicing because the gospel is being preached. The, the, the true servants will consider how their suffering could be a blessing to others. How could being a servant help us to interpret difficult times in our lives? 
How might God be using this suffering in my life right now to bless others for his glory, to get the word out about who he is? And most times we ain't worried about sharing the good news with others when we having it good, when things are going well, much less when things are difficult. See, suffering has the ability to, to lead us to focus inward more than ever before. But the one who understands this new identity that we have as a servant is able to, even in difficult times, be concerned about the blessing of others. Let's go a little deeper in chapter one. We're going to see even more joy in this sacrificial service from Paul. Pick up middle verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. And now he's about to give us another reason why he's continuing to rejoice, even though he's in prison and he might be about to be killed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And here's why he's saying he knows that. It's crazy. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He said, man, I don't really know what I even want in this moment. I wouldn't mind going on to be with the Lord. Actually, that would be better. But at the same time, it would be fruitful labor and fruitful ministry for me. If I was able to be here, I could continue to, to serve you and minister to you in the gospel if I, if I stayed here so my desire is to depart, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He ends up saying, but it's better for me to stay here. So I'm pretty sure that that's what God is going to do, that I might continue to serve you. Apostle Paul was a servant. He was a leader. He had a title. He had all types of authority, all types of influence. But underneath it all, he was a servant, and he considered others more significant than himself. He's a servant so much that he rejoiced in his suffering because of how it blessed others. Next example that Paul gives is a young man named Timothy. I'm going to go back to chapter 2, go to verse 19. The thing I learned from Timothy, true servants are rare and very noticeable. True servants are rare and very noticeable. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you to the church at Philippi, because I don't have anybody like him. He says, I have no one else like him. He says, everyone else is concerned about their own interests, their own affairs. And Paul goes on to say that the Philippians are aware of how servant-hearted Timothy actually is. They, they, they would have remembered, they would have known how, how, how worthy and how worthwhile he was in the ministry. He would have spent time there in Philippi with Paul. Paul says about Timothy, I don't have anybody like him who cares about others and who is so concerned about others as he is. And he points out that the Philippians know just how servant-hearted he was. This begs the question for all of us, for me, for you, 
If we were to ask people in our lives right now, the people that know us best, I'm not talking about yes men and yes women who just tell you whatever you want to hear. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who can be real with you, that are in your life, that know you, that love you, that have seen you. Would they say, yeah, no, this person is a servant. They count the interests of others as more important than their own. Those who truly know you, who will be honest with you, what would they say? Those who might be in your life group, those who might be in your family, friends that you've had for an extended period of time. If I ask your life group, do you display the heart of a servant in your life group? What would they say? Would they say, yeah, this person, this person definitely considers the interests of others over their own? Or would they say the opposite? Would they put you in the same category that Paul puts uh, the young minister Timothy in or would he put you in the other category of everyone who just considers their own interests above everybody else? If you're a true servant, those that truly know you will know. They will know what is true. The next example that Paul gives is a, a man named Epaphroditus. I'll pick up in verse 25, still in Philippians chapter 2. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Paul had this uh, unique relationship with the Philippian church. He went there, the church got started, he ended up leaving, but they, they continued to support him financially. And they would send gifts to him to allow him to, to focus on ministering the gospel so he wouldn't have to spend so much time making tents and working to fund his ministry. So they would send him gifts. So they sent him a gift through Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus became sick on that way to give Paul the gift that they were sending him. Pick back up in verse 27. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said, I would have been extremely sorrowful if I would have known that he would have, that he would have died bringing me the gift that you were sending me through him. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So Paul's like, I'm eager to send him back to you so he can be with you again. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul says, yes, he got sick on the way, but he also was willing to risk his life for this, potentially because he knew that Paul was being persecuted, that, Paul, that, the, that the officials, the authorities were looking uh, at Paul, looking to arrest him, possibly because he did, it, it was not safe to be affiliated with Paul at this time. Paul said, this man risked his life so that Paul's ministry could continue to be funded, so that he can continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I learned from Epaphroditus that true servants serve even when it's risky, costly, and painful. Learn from Epaphroditus that true servants serve even when it is risky and costly and painful. He nearly lost his life. He was willing to risk that. This would have been tremendously sacrificial for him, obviously. I feel the need to teach on this subject. One of the reasons I want to teach on this subject is because I know of Christians who won't 
lovingly engage with certain people because they fear being rejected, fear having their feelings hurt, fear that this person won't be as good of a friend to them as they desire for that person to be. And I'm like, we've completely lost our way. We've completely lost our way. Like, I don't, I don't know what, how the Christian life was explained to you before you became a Christian. Like, I don't know what your expectations coming into Christianity were. But it's always been about us sacrificing ourselves, following our Savior in our Savior's footsteps of giving up ourselves, even when it's challenging. We have forefathers in the faith. We've had martyrs after martyr after martyr in the faith because we find the, the, the end worth the sacrifice. That's the path that our Savior walked. He, he marked it for us. We have three examples here of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus who walked along the same path. And this is what he calls us to. It was never supposed to be easy. It was never supposed to be comfortable. It was supposed to be joyful, but it was supposed to be a sacrificial joy that we experienced and that we walked in just like our Savior did. I feel sorry for so many who are coming to the faith, and I, th- I feel like sometimes we over, overly romanticize what we're called because we want people to come to faith, and we want people to come to know Jesus, and we make it all about God loves us, and of course he does, but his love for us, his sacrificial love for us should propel us to go and show the same love to this world that he also loves. This is how we are called to live as his people. It was never supposed to be easy. And in many places throughout the history of the world, it has not been easy. I think we live in a, in a place, in a culture, in a time where it can be fairly easy to be a Christian. It can be fairly easy to be considered a Christian. Oftentimes that is not so in the history of our world. We have Christians in our world today who have to hide just to be able to worship together. Sometimes I fear that the comforts that God has allowed us and I believe the freedom to worship him is a good thing. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like the, the comforts that God has, has blessed us with has also chained us in some ways. That it's restricted us with this mindset of I, I'm supposed to approach Christianity as something that, that can help me be more and more comfortable. In general, throughout the history of our world, that has not been the case for Christians. We're called to be servants. This is who we are. This is who we are. There was a missionary in the 1860s in Hawaii. At that time, there was a major outbreak of, le- out, out, outbreak, excuse me, of leprosy on one of the Hawaiian islands. Uh, Hawaiian was, was forcing everyone that had contracted leprosy to go to this one specific island, this uh, peninsula, if I'm not mistaken, or what they called this leper colony of, uh, if I'm saying it right, uh, Kalawau. Uh, the missionary, he wrote, at that time, the development of the illness was horrible and the number of deaths quite considerable. The miserable condition of the lepers was so terrible that the colony well deserved the name given to it, a living cemetery. Now, his missionary supervisors told him to not go around those who had leprosy. They told him, you need, you, you need to stay away. We, we, we can't afford for you to, to contract this leprosy. We need you to be able to live and continue to share the good news of Jesus. But Damien said that he knew that he had to care for them. He had to bandage them. He had to share Jesus with everyone, even those who were sick. He said, as for me, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all for Christ. 
I try with God's help to alleviate their terrible suffering and in this way lead them in the way of salvation. He ended up planting churches, seeing a number of people coming to know the Lord. And in the end, he lost his life to leprosy. In February 1889, before he, a few months, just two months before his death, he wrote, I continue happy and content. And even though I am very sick, I only want to fulfill the will of the good God. I am happy and content. True servants are able to find a joy in the middle of the difficulty that the, servant, that the service might cause them. Able to find a joy in, in the fact that we're living out the way God had created us, that we're doing what he has called us to do. These are powerful words from a man who knew what true service was. A man who was willing to serve even when it was risky, even when it was painful, even when it was costly. Earlier I spoke of the fact that we need to have the mind of Christ. That he served, that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Paul said in verse 5, have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus. But he says something that's very profound in this, in this verse that I think we often miss. And some theologians disagree with the way this is worded. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, have this mind, this mind among yourselves, embrace this, this mindset of something that you actually already have, he says. He says, have, have something, possess something, take possession of something that actually has already been given to you if you are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that we, already, we have the mind of Christ. There's a gentleman that I think, he lives somewhere near me. Uh, he, he comes to different uh, homes in the neighborhood. He'll, he'll knock on your door and ask if he can uh, make a little bit of money, like $10, $12 or something like that to rake the leaves in your yard. And whenever the leaves are, are pretty bad, I'll, I'll generally allow him to do so. This was a few weeks ago. He came by, uh, and he was like, I, I, I'd love to, to rake, your, rake your yard, and I agreed to, to pay him cash. I think it was like $10, $12, something like that. And he was about halfway through, and then I realized I spent all the cash that I had in my wallet. I already spent it. And I was like, oh, no, he's already halfway through. I was like, he... I, I pay for everything with cards. I don't even think about the fact that I don't have cash in my wallet because I never, I never use it. So I'm stressing out and I'm anxious. And I'm like, I got this man out here working for me. I promised that I was going to pay him. And I don't have the money to pay him. I don't, I don't even know what to do. So I'm sort of running through the house. I'm looking everywhere, looking places I know we don't got no money there. And I'm looking there anyway. And then I think my, my, my wife told me, oh, we all have a few dollars over here. So I went and checked, had the money, was able to pay the man. And the reason I bring that up is because I already had what I needed, but because I didn't know that I have it, I wasn't able to live. I, I wasn't able to live in the freedom of having the things that I didn't know that I already had. I already had the money there, but I was anxious and I was, I'm terrified. I don't even know what I'm going to say to this guy. I'm about to fall apart in here and I already had everything that I needed. I just didn't know that I had it. And Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The truth of the matter is, if we are in Christ, if we have truly placed faith in him, then he has already transformed us and made us more and more like him. 
right, that he has already gripped our hearts, that we've already become a new creation in him, that he has already changed us. He is already at work in us, sanctifying us, making us more like him. What we need to do is not just, it's not that we just need to learn how to behave differently. We need to learn how to live out who he has already made us to be. That he has already transformed us. Here's the way Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That has already happened when he became a believer. I have been crucified with Christ. Me, the old me, my way of doing things has already died. It's already been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The good news of Jesus isn't just, okay, you're saved now. Now start acting differently. The good news of Jesus is if you have placed faith in him, he has already transformed you and you are different already. And you've already been made new. You've already been made different. And now the goal and the pathway to growth is learning how to live in this new identity. Paul says when he became a Christian, something much, much deeper happened to him than just him changing some of his behaviors. He's saying that his old life died and now the life he lives is actually Christ living out his purposes in him. It's that Christ came to the earth, showed us how we're to live, died to make us his, was resurrected from the grave with all power in his hands. And then he left and sent his Holy Spirit to live in each side of us. And so in a manner of speaking, he is still living his life in the earth through his people who his spirit lives in. That he's still accomplishing the work that he was about when he was on earth through the people who have accepted him. That he is working in us and he is working through us, still living out his life as we are his hands and his feet, as we are his body. And he is still accomplishing his purposes, still serving the people that he loves through those who have accepted him. See, part of the problem is we don't truly believe that we've been changed. Because if you believe you've been changed, then when you notice these thoughts in your mind of selfishness, of self-centeredness, of this is all about me, you say, no, that's not who I am anymore. That's who I used to be. I've already been changed and empowered and and delivered to live differently from that. I've been made new now. That's the old me. That's not who I am anymore. We need to understand that we have already been changed. Yes, he's still changing us. Yes, he's still growing us. But if you are in Christ, as Paul says... Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that we have already been made new. I don't know how you approach the new year, and I don't have any problem with New Year's resolutions, and I think that's okay, and that's fine to do, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think we also sometimes expect this new year to change us in some way. If we expect it's a new year, okay, I got a fresh start now so I can, I, I can change myself. I'm saying if, if that's what you want, if you want change, grow in understanding who you are now in Christ. Look to him. Look to the Savior who sacrificed all, who is the greatest servant this world has ever lived. And understand that he now lives in you and is transforming you to make you more and more like him. Look to the Savior. Look to his beautiful, his glorious, his perfect service. Look to his death on the cross, that he, didn't, that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that he was willing to die. Humble himself, count the interests of others more significant than his own. Look to him, remember him, and then believe in faith that he now lives in you. Believe in faith that he now lives in you and is transforming you to make you more and more like him, even when it doesn't look like it even when you're tempted to believe 
otherwise. We're going to take communion in a second here. And when we do so, I want us to remember his act of service. As you take the, the, the broken bread that, that, that represents the broken body of Jesus, remember this is what service looks like. It's sacrificial. It's costly. It hurts at times. As we dip it in the juice, let's remember his blood that was shed. Let us remember that we too are called to pour out our lives in service for others. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for your service. We're grateful for how you have made us new. We're grateful for how you have changed us. Father, make us more like you. Make us more like you, God. Anything, this, this, this selfishness, this self-centeredness that, that resides in each of us, God, anything that's not pleasing to you, Lord, take it out of us. Rid us of this. Grow us in understanding whom you have made us to be, what our new identity is in you. And help us to see, help us to know deep in our hearts that doing that is actually how we find joy. It's actually how we find life because we are living as you have created us to live. Father, expose to us all the times that we approach our lives like everything is for us. When we come to to be served instead of coming to serve. Father, convict us, change us. Father, empower us to live out the way that you have called us to live, the way that you have created us to live, the way that you have made us as we've been made new in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.